Okay, welcome back. I'll just give it a moment for others to arrive. Great, so as I said earlier, we just wanted to offer an opportunity for some questions from some reflections, and we've had a couple come in by email, so we'll start with those, and then if you have any you're welcome to either raise your hand or post them in the chat, whatever feels comfortable. Chat's a bit tricky. Okay, maybe not do the chat, just raise your hand. Okay, so the question we had was about, um, says at times during meditation and sometimes before falling asleep at night, I experience vivid, beautiful images of nature. The images are very pleasant. I feel like I'm actually there. When I become aware of them, sometimes they disappear, sometimes they per- persist. I'm wondering if you have any comments about why these arise, and is being aware of them coming and passing appropriate practice, or should I do something else? So that's the first question. Mm. So um, this is this is very relevant in terms of our focus this afternoon, isn't it? Um, or through the day. Really, images that appear uh, are mental formations, just like thoughts, yeah. And they arise, as we've been rediscovering today, from states of mind, yeah. Some states of mind are more exalted, some less so. So images, beautiful images of of nature seem to be very conducive for um, going to sleep, for sure. You have them before you go to sleep. Lovely. (laughs) you know, if you had sheep, counting sheep, whatever it might be, um, these are these are probably beneficial if they have the effect of soothing and calming the system and allowing you to go into sleep. Um, in terms of during meditation, I think you're right to work with simply observing the arising, the passing, from an embodied perspective. So again, you're taking note of the energetic qualities of these these images that arise. Yeah, but not getting like that hedgehog caught in the net. You're not getting caught in them and making stories and, and making more of them. Our um, One of our, our lineage teacher, Ajahn Chah, um, in the Thai forest tradition, used to say things will come up in meditation. All sorts of things will come up. Um, when you make your mind like a still forest pool, all sorts of strange and interesting creatures will come to drink at the water. So... And he would say, make nothing of any of it, because it's all still within the realm of arising and passing. So that would be my main encouragement, is, is to treat it as, as um, dhammas, really as dhammas. So we haven't quite worked on that today, but chitta, the, this, what's the mind state that's, that's the substrate of these? You know? Just see it for what it is. It might be free of, probably it's free of hindered states. Recognize that, know that. Get used to what that's like. Experience that. And then because it's conditioned, you're letting it go. So perhaps my exalted friends here have something they want to add? No, or? it sounds... Okay. All right. Probably yeah. So just uh, similarly, one of the key things to notice is what's the relationship to those experiences? 
you know, sometimes when they're a little bit out of the norm, there can be either a tendency to go into subtle fascination, like, ooh, what's this? That's interesting. Mm, nice. I hope this, what does this all mean? I wonder if this means something. Mm-hmm. Or, depending on the content, it can be the opposite. Oh, not this again. Mm-hmm. And a subtle pulling away, that energetic kind of contracting in the chitta. So the, these might be relatively subtle experiences for you, but it's an opportunity to notice if there is the movement of the mind towards or away, even in the slightest energetic pulling into the pulling back from. It's a powerful place to explore. So thank you for the question. So then we had a second question. Could you discuss the balance between awareness slash mindfulness concentration and energy to sustain the practice. It's your turn. Okay. So these words, energy, mindfulness, concentration, um, immediately what comes to my mind, and I imagine my friends here, is these are central aspects of the cultivation of the indriya, the five factors that come together to bring a release of the chitta. Yeah. So they're very they're very central and very important. And the first of the five factors is a sense of willingness, capacity, recognition. Hey, it's worth cultivating. Yeah. It's worth practicing. There is the possibility of release and I'm capable of it. Yeah. And this gives rise to the energy right effort, the the kind of willingness and the energy that goes with it to actually attend to what is happening and to be able to discern is this helpful or unhelpful? Does this need if it's being picked up, is it good to maintain this like skillful states of mind? Or is this unhelpful? Is this something that needs letting go of? So this discernment and how do we know if it's helpful or unhelpful? Well, we know it in the chitta, don't we? In the response, in the, in the affected quality of we can feel unwholesome brings a contraction and a sense of getting entangled. What is wholesome brings an opening up and a sense of greater release. Yeah. So this this effort of putting down what is unhelpful, cultivating what is helpful, particularly in times of meditation, but actually in life itself, allows the mind to collect. It's no longer being assailed by what is unwholesome. It is coming into conducive experience and it starts to collect, gather, have this huge momentum for waking up and a capacity for the fourth factor, which is this inquiry, this wisdom aspect that really knows suffering, how suffering arises from this kind of leaning and clinging, the capacity to let go, and the path that gives us that capacity. Yeah. So they're, they're central. They also, as you know, appear in the factors of the path and they work together for any wholesome state of mind, along with discernment. But in the Indriya, really right effort has discernment inherent in it. 
what is skillful, what is unskillful, and knowing it in the chitta. Yeah? So this is a deeply embodied energetic experience. What is going on here? And then feeling these factors coming together to further and further increase our capacity to feel the freedom, spaciousness of the heart, to see clearly. And what's so incredible in this practice, particularly at the Chitta Nipasana of this, is that we're waking up to whatever is here. Whether we like it or don't like it, the heart that has a will in it is unpleasant, isn't it? But we're knowing it. So it has this radical aspect that is also in the Four Noble Truths where we stop the running and we come into the direct experience of what is here. And as you know, when we're with something, something miraculous starts happening. So it's a first response. I'll pass it to my sisters, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just picking up on what Willis said, you know, we were eating earlier about the, the indriya in relation to your question and also the seven factors of enlightenment. So, you know, we have these frameworks that we practice with. Yeah, we're very fortunate that the, the Buddha taught so many people and gave you know, slightly different teachings at different times, put, put the elements together in different ways. So also in the seven factors of enlightenment, your question about... Um, awareness, mindfulness, about energy and concentration. It seems to fit there. And your question's about balance, how to balance these. Yeah. So these two frameworks, the, the Indriya, the five spiritual qualities on the one hand and the seven factors of enlightenment, they do work in balance. So if you start with the seven factors, you're starting with mindfulness and investigation, as we've been doing today, right? investigating states, states of mind, investigating what's here right now. And that brings energy and then you continue to invest that energy into mindfulness and investigation and then there's a through that process if if you're not over over efforting and getting too tired or or taught tied up you know um but but just keeping that um kind of relaxed effort yeah then the mind starts to feel quite lovely. We start to feel quite um, tinglingly relaxed and at ease. And this starts as the mind starts to gather and gather, and it it settles into a concentrated state. Yeah. And, and from there, this immovable um, steadiness allows us to see things as they are and cut through, just as Willa described in the the other framework of the Indriya. So the balance is something to to work on for yourself. You know, if you were riding a bike, some people have to pedal harder and faster, some people not. But you know, you find your way with that. But but there are really good descriptions in the suttas around um, how to apply this right effort. So I'd encourage you to do some investigation in that way. Jill, did you have anything? No, feels pretty complete. Thank you. So we can open it up to. Anyone else now? Do you have any other questions or reflections? Anything coming from this day of practice or in your Dharma practice more generally?
Emily, thank you. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you. And um, really applicable for me right now. Seven weeks ago, I fractured a vertebra. So sitting, standing, and walking have been almost impossible, you know, for any length of time for all that time. And what I noticed, um, I, I tend to, I was in a fairly soft space around it most of the time, but it was really necessary to divert from it, you know, to really practice diversion in sometimes ways that I would normally consider somewhat unwholesome. But in this situation, they felt accurate. It felt accurate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to just not try to be as present all the time because it was way too fatiguing, mm -hmm. way too challenging. So I would love to hear you talk about the benefits of the unwholesome. <laughs> the benefits of the unwholesome? I'm teasing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the painful you know, rather than the unwholesome. Well, or, or the distraction. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, this phrase, uh, skillful means, <laughs> feels mm. appropriate here. And as you alluded to, listening to your own capacity. You know, if we're just collapsing, if the mindfulness and the presence isn't strong enough to meet the intensity of the unpleasant experience, and we're being dragged into aversion, apathy, depression, and so forth, as I think you're implying, not so skillful. To me, what makes it uh, a discerned choice is how much consciousness is we, are we bringing to it? If I'm just going, oh, that OMG can't stand it, click on Netflix, and there's an automatic knee-jerk response, then to me that's more in the capacity of escapism. But if there's a conscious registering in the body, sensing into the chitta, this is becoming more than this being can bear right now. Okay, what would be a skillful strategy to have some momentary relief to come back to balance and steadiness perhaps just watching a half hour comedy show is going to be useful and again you'll be sensing into that but I think there's often a misperception that being aware means being drilling down into our most intense excruciating pain and even the slightest movement away from that is somehow cheating and there can be an unconscious, almost self-punishing in that. Most of us already have this inbuilt negativity bias, right, To for the mind to default to what's unpleasant, uncomfortable, painful, and so on. And so at times it can be skillful to, in a way, retrain that bias to open more to the full spectrum of experience and not reinforce that fixation on the unpleasant. So I remember an anecdote from a Zen teacher who had, I think, rheumatoid arthritis. And she used to very determinedly walk to her Zendo every, I don't know, say Thursday evening for their Zen session. session. And she would try to be really mindful of every step as she was going. And it was every step was incredibly painful. It would take her 45 minutes to walk however many blocks it was. And when she got there, she'd be tired, she'd be in pain. It was all she could do to stay for the evening. 
she thought she was being mindful, but then at some point she realized what she was actually paying attention to was every footfall. So every time her foot contacted the ground, there was a jarring transmission of pain up her leg, and that's what she was paying attention to. So at some point she decided, what happens when, in the rest of the experience of walking, what happens when my foot is swinging through the air? And she became very curious about that. And the next time she did that same trip, it took about a third of the time. And she got to the zendo in much better shape because she was opening up to the totality of the experience rather than unconsciously collapsing into just every jarring, excruciating footfall. So I don't know if that's a variation that makes sense to you. To me, it's the degree of consciousness and awareness that we're bringing to the choices we're making in the service of balance. Thank you. Yes, really concurring with Jill, and I'll just say a little bit, and then I'm sure Eliza's got something to say. So there is a place for skillfully shifting attention. I mean, this is right effort. But what I know, because I don't have the most comfortable of bodies, is it's still saying we can get caught almost in the earth element, in the fire element. But what if we come into the prana, the love and life energy of the air element? Yeah. It's radically different, which is really the training through Anapanasati, but we can actually just do it right now. And there is no pain in the, in the breath body. Yeah? So we're still in body, but we're choosing, we're choosing where we're actually placing attention, and we can bring attention into this loving energy of life itself which is completely infused body. And it's so radically different, Emily, than being with the um, kind of earthy sensations of the body. So that is just encouragement too, but it's not to say it's not skillful to shift attention to something that you normally wouldn't, but also to recognise actually within the meditation, mm-hmm. where are we actually paying attention? Yeah. Well, because pain is such a <laughs> common source of suffering, you know, this is a really interesting topic that you've raised, Emily. And first I want to say I really hope that your vertebrae heals well and your rehab's going well. Um, you know, all the very best with that. And then what I have to say won't be probably very appealing. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I haven't had to do this with... I have some lower back pain, but I haven't had to do this, so it's just... Um, it's just another piece of this pain puzzle that just as with grief, you know, people often speak about waves of grief and we can distract from it, which is absolutely fine. We can get absolutely swallowed up by it, which can happen, and then we get spat out again or we go with the waves. Um And so with pain too, there is that possibility as well, is that without, without pushing it, and without doing anything that's that's going to be unhelpful, that sense of okay, let this wash over me, <laughs> not not to a point of distress, despair or distress, absolutely not. But it's another place to practice. And the reason I say that is, um, I once was on a meditation retreat with um, a monastic teacher who I really trusted, and um, someone in the 
retreatant group asked him a question about pain and I just pricked up my ears because I'd had lower back pain most of my life and he said well that he'd heard from a fully awakened master that if you're sitting in meditation if you if you can he didn't talk about broken spines though but if you if you're sitting in meditation and there's some some pain there are the usual ways of dealing with that and, and one is distraction bringing to mind some other state and so on and they're skillful they're skillful approaches there is this one other option where you persist with the meditation object say the breath you stay with it stay with it acknowledge and register the pain stay with it and he said when it feels like it's getting too much if you can stay with it three to five times breakthroughs occur and I practiced with pain and I experienced what he described so um, there's a real opportunity to really wake up from that. But I'd say um, hasten slowly, <laughs> trust your intuition, and all the very best. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're getting close to our yeah. the end of our time together, so... I'd like to just invite uh, Willow is going to bring this uh, our day to a close and then we'll have just a couple of announcements before we say goodbye. So thank you, Willow. So just as we're coming to the end, we really let your awareness, your attention just rest inward again. We've been in engagement. We're just slightly inclining back into our own chitta, our own heart, feeling ourselves sitting here. Keep your eyes open or keep them closed. Whatever allows you just to be present and feel what is here. So your own chitta, and you may be able to sense the chitta of the others that are here with you, this field of cultivation. And as we've been doing throughout the day, we we attune to the goodness that has been cultivated. The right effort, right mindfulness, right collectiveness, Right understanding these path factors that we have been strengthening. You just feel that. What is it like to be here in this cultivation? And then with each breath in, we let that fill the whole experience of the body. And with each breath out, it's like we breathe it out as a blessing on the whole world, in all directions, across time and space. So breathing in, it's like fanning the bellows, igniting this knowledge of our cultivation. And when we breathe it out, like a scattering of blessings. May the whole world benefit 
Brahma's cultivation of Dhamma. May they be freed out of fear, freed out of hostility. May they dwell in peace. And into this expansion of the citta, it may be particular beings, groups of beings you may wish to bring to mind across this planet of ours. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.